Hello friends and welcome. My name is Sarah Robinson. I am an author of books on all things myth, magic and witch. And I was planning to start this podcast in 2024 as I finish up one book and start another that explore the wonders of the Wildwood and of witch country. But it's almost Halloween and I'm feeling a little overexcited about sharing some of the stories. So I thought I'd start early and offer just a few snippets of fun folklore, fascinating history and various tales that warrant perhaps a little reflection. To share a little of what I'm planning with this podcast and perhaps to see what feedback you, the listener, have to improve as I take these first tentative steps into podcasting for the first time. So here we go. Join me as we explore the realms of the witch, weird and wild, through storytelling, folklore, and walking the land. Welcome to Witch Country. Episode 1, Halloween Special, The Pendle Witches. I'm starting Witch Country with a journey through story and landscape and all things witchy with perhaps one of the most famous or infamous witch cases of England, certainly contenders for the top spot. This are the trials of the Pendle Witches. Wild stories are drawn from a collection of witch trials of accused witches from the area of Pendle, Lancaster and Lancashire in the north of England. Stories intertwined between history, superstition and folktale, as many stories of witches do. In 1633, we find that Pendle Forest was still of bad repute, and that traditions of old Demdike and her rival Mother Chattox yet floated round the Malkin Tower, and hid spectre-like in the rough and deserted places of the barren waste. The History As Best We Know It In March 1612, a young, very poor woman was walking through the woodland of Pendle Hill. Her name was Alison Device. The Device family were well known in the area for offering traditional herbal remedies and good luck charms, and so, of course, they were also known as witches. When Alison passed by a peddler named John Law, one version of the story is that she asked him for some pins. He refused one imagines not particularly politely, and Alison became angry and responded with a curse. 
We don't know her exact words, but the man took just a few steps further upon his journey before falling down, seemingly bewitched. His arms went limp, his speech faltered, his face drooped. It is generally agreed in hindsight that Law suffered a stroke. But Alison was convinced that her words had directly resulted in the injury to John. She later confessed that her curse had caused the injury and begged forgiveness. This was the beginning of the Pendle Witch Trials and a complex web of family feuds. Alison Device confessed her own guilt and also accused her own grandmother, Elizabeth Southerns, also known as Old Demdike. Alison also accused Anne Whittle, known as Old Chattox, of murdering men by witchcraft, including Alison's own father. In turn, Anne Whittle accused her own daughter, Anne Redfern, of making clay figures which she used to practice witchcraft. So, Alison and Demdike were arrested along with Chattox and Anne Redfern. Both Demdike and Chattox were in their 80s at this time with failing sight, and they both admitted to selling their souls to the devil. With three admittances of guilt, all four women were taken to Lancaster Castle and held in the dungeon to await trial at the next assizes. Elizabeth Southerns did not survive the cold, damp cells and died awaiting her trial. In her confession, and I say that in quotation marks, Elizabeth Southerns told of an experience she had 20 years previously. As she was coming home from begging, she passed a stone pit in the Pendle Forest, and she encountered a spirit in the shape of a boy. He told her that if she would give him her soul, she should have anything she desired, including skills in magic. He gave his name as Tib and became her spirit familiar, who would reappear several times, often years apart during Elizabeth's life, in various forms, including that of a brown dog, a hare, and a black cat. But this was not the end of the story. In April 1612, on Good Friday, Elizabeth Device gathered a meeting at Malkin Tower. Mentions of Malkin Tower suggest it was within the forest of Pendle and by Pendle Hill, within the ancient forest of Boland, but it has long since been reclaimed by the land, and probably the decay was assisted by locals still fearful of the place. So, a meeting on Good Friday. This meeting, or a coven of witches, depending on who's telling the story, would see more souls arrested and executed for the crime of witchcraft. Malkin Tower was the home of Elizabeth Southerns, her daughter, Elizabeth Device, and her children, Alison, James, and Janet. Remember that Elizabeth Southerns will pass away, and she's already in the cells, and Alison is also in the cells already. What little we know about what actually happened at this gathering at Malkin Tower includes the fact that James Device provided mutton for a feast. We don't know whether or not he stole that mutton, but still, a nice feast was had, and it might be that everyone gathered together to have a discussion about what to do about the incarcerated women. They might have squabbled. They might even have celebrated, seeing as these family feuds were pretty volatile. 
but fear and superstition led to accusations that this gathering was in fact one of plans for destruction, murder and blowing up of the castle. And so those who attended the Malkin Tower gathering and and some that were just suspected to have done so were accused of plotting, plotting to blow up Lancaster Castle, to murder the jailers with witchcraft and to break free the women inside. Word of this infamous meeting spread and shortly after, many of those who attended were accused of crimes of witchcraft and sent to join the others at Lancaster Castle. This included the remainder of the Device family, all apart from the nine-year-old Janet, as well as others from nearby towns and villages. The trials took place in August 1612. The accused were denied witnesses to plead their innocence, and on the 20th of August, ten were hanged on Gallows Hill in Lancaster, including Elizabeth Device, who was accused by Janet, her daughter, who would be the only surviving member of the Device family, and her children, James and Alison Device, Anne Whittle and Anne Redfern. The others that would hang that day were Jane Bullcock and her son, John, Alice Nutter, Catherine Hewitt, and Isabel Roby. The fear of these supposed covens of Pendle would endure for centuries to come. And the true sad history of the witch hunts that were fueled by squabbles, fear and superstition turned in time into enduring folklore and produce various regional protective rituals to guard oneself from the witches that were rumoured to still roam Lancashire. So as the night of Halloween falls, if you should wish to protect yourself from the fabled witches, then this is how the ritual must go. The stories told the great gatherings of witches assembled on Halloween in the forests of Pendle and at the infamous Malkin Tower where the devices had lived. The actual gathering many were arrested for took place on Good Friday, remember, but clearly Halloween makes for a better superstition. And during this time of Halloween, when the covens are abroad, one must carry a lighted candle about the hills between 11 and 12 o'clock at night without it being extinguished, in order to be safe from witchcraft during the coming year. Witches would, of course, employ their utmost efforts to snuff out the light, but if you were successful, you would be protected in this ritual known as Lating the Witches. A diary excerpt. Lancashire, August 2023. The summer of 2023 was sweaty, muggy, close, always feeling like a thunderstorm was on the horizon, but it never quite seemed to arrive. 
I, in my tiny part of the world that consists largely of sitting at my desk or in my garden, teaching the occasional yoga class and drinking coffee in the lovely cafes of Bath, and reading old books about folklore and rummaging through the shelves at the local library. Anyways, suffice to say, I was delighted to be invited out and up to Lancashire. I am at a busy conference called The Witches' Revival in Lancaster. I'm here with the founder of the beautiful little publishing house that publishes my books, Womancraft Publishing, and the wonderful Lucy H. Pierce, who is its founder. August is the month when the Pendle witches were hanged, except poor old Demdike, who died in the cells. And a tiny little cell it is. When you pass through the grand gates of Lancaster Castle, all the signs are still in place from when it was a prison. Is it still a prison? I'm not sure. But it has clearly been a place of incarceration for a very long time. A small sign for the Pendle Witches sits on your right as you enter through the main entrance to the Well Tower. Some were held in a dungeon underneath this tower where tourists now step. Others were held elsewhere in the castle. And there is a modest display of the story of the Pendle Witches. Away from castle, jury, judge, huge crowd, rough rope, short drop, no grave. Only future tourists who might grieve. Say the lines of the poem, The Lancashire Witches by Caroline Duffy, from which these lines are taken and displayed as you enter the room of the well tower. Under an image of the wonderful discovery of witches in the county of Lancashire, the pamphlet printed in 1613 by Thomas Potts, is a paragraph that says in 1998 a petition was presented to the UK Home Secretary for the Pendle Witches to be pardoned. It was decided their convictions should stand. Ten years later, another petition was organised in an attempt to obtain pardons for Chattox and Demdike at least. At time of writing, no official pardon has been issued. It seems that no one with the official powers to do so cares quite enough to pardon the Pendle Witches or to find a more appealing solution. Fascinating and infuriating is a term I use a lot over my week in Lancaster, with every new snippet of history and story that I learn. And above, the same old witness moon. More from Caroline Duffy's poem. There were 20 people accused from areas in and around Lancaster that resulted in the 10 that were found guilty and taken up to Gallows Hill, more land that looks over the city. I walk there, on a hot and muggy lunch break from selling books at the conference. Grey clouds hang low with an oppressive heat. Both myself and Lucy have done talks and workshops at the event, and it's been really fun to meet people and readers and fans of our work. But now I'm having a little jolly and going for a walk, and I walk past a square where there's a memorial to Queen Victoria and a war memorial, and many grand buildings. The city is busy and there's lots of people, cars, hustle and bustle. I walk steadily uphill. It's actually a bit of a trek and I'm starting to sweat a little with the heat of the damp day. I walk under long rows of rowan trees, growing the other side of stone walls. They've dropped loads of red berries on the floor, and I wonder if 
any of those who took this walk from the castle to Gallows Hill picked any of these rowan berries up. There's so much folklore and folk magic around rowan trees. I must add that in at some point. This is feeling like a long walk from the castle. It must have felt even longer to the witches. As I walk up this steadily steeper growing path with the rowan trees arching over me, within the stone wall there is at least one ghost door. I can see the stone lintel where there was once uh, an archway, a doorway. There's also a school and a driveway to my left. And according to Google Maps that seems to have the old site of Gallows Hill marked upon it, there is just a little wild area cordoned off by wire fencing and really nothing that suggests where Gallows Hill was or how important a site it was. I do carry on. And I find myself in a, a coppiced woodland, as the, the sign tells me. It's covered in mud, so I can only just make out some of the notes that are on this sign. It's grubby and a bit moulded, with faded images of a speckled wood butterfly, a black cap, and a picture of the spring flower, lesser celandine. The parts I can make out on the sign tell me that several trees have been coppiced to allow light to reach the ground, although cut-down tree stumps can still grow again. It also tells me that speckled wood butterfly might be seen from spring to summer flitting around in the dappled light, and the thick growth of brambles and tree shoots provides ideal cover for common birds to nest such as wrens and robins, and that I should listen out for the fluted songs of the willow warblers and the black caps from May to July. As I walk through, there is a paved path through banked sides of this woodland. So there's lots of vines of ivy and tall trees rising up above me. And then the steep banks are made up of that kind of mix of leaf litter and pine needles and there's that scent of damp woodland I'm also kind of cosseted in this space held by these steep banks there's not really a sense of things around you it feels very quiet very peaceful and somehow I'm the only person in this woodland area I take a pause a little time to catch my breath and I take a seat taking some deep breaths to catch my breath. And it is then that I notice I am not alone. Hello. So we're taking a break from the story to take a pause and move into tree tales. Each podcast episode, I will focus on a tree and some of its magical folklore. So let's branch out. Branching off into tree tales, it's Rowan today, Sorbus aquaparia. Rowan is known in folk practices for its protective qualities against witches and fairies. Small crosses made from rowan twigs, each tied with a red ribbon, the 
color red was and still is a popular choice for protection against magic, small crosses made from rowan twigs, each tied with a red ribbon. The color red was and still is popular for protection against magic, were once widespread in the British Isles and worn by people and hung above doors at Eastertide or on May Day. Rowan boughs were laid across lintels, doorways and in stables for good fortune and protection from spells and witchcraft. A walking stick made from rowan wood may protect the wanderer from harm, and in English folklore ship's masts of rowan were highly regarded as they made a ship safe from spells. Dried rowan berries can be threaded together to make protective charms, bracelets and necklaces for protection. The red berries made the rowan berry a popular choice, though elderberries were used similarly. Also commonly called mountain ash or quick beam throughout Europe, Rowan's folk names include Witchwood, Witch's Trees, Lady of the Mountain, Quicken Tree, Whispering Tree, Wildwood, and its old Celtic name, Fidnadruad, which means Wizard's Tree. In Scotland, the breeze rushing through the feathery leaves of Rowan earned it the folk name Whispering Tree, and it was considered a holder of secrets, and also as the Traveller's Tree, because it was believed to prevent travellers from losing their way. It was thought wise to keep a Rowan staff handy as an escape route should someone become trapped in a fairy ring and protect one from being fairy-led, led astray on woodland paths. But should you find yourself stuck in a fairy realm, Rowan could support rescue missions. In Highland folklore, a man may successfully rescue his kin from a fairy hill by fastening a Rowan cross to himself before venturing boldly into the hill to claim his rescuee. In Celtic lore, a captive of a fairy ring a fate that may cause one to become invisible to the mortal world or to be transported to the fairy realm and forced to dance into death by exhaustion or madness, could be rescued by two strong men and a long rowan branch. The branch should be placed in the middle of the circle. When the captive grasps the branch, or is felt to if they are currently invisible, the men should pull with all their strength the fairies will not be able to intervene because of their aversion to Rowan. A festive tradition once observed amongst Scottish families was burning a branch from a Rowan during the Christmas season. Burning Rowan is a ritual used to clear away bad feelings of jealousy or mistrust between family, friends and neighbours. Any negativity burns away as the wood is consumed by fire. Assuring a happier year ahead. Folks of Scotland also valued the rowan for its berries and the strong spirit that could be brewed from these berries or made into jams and chutneys and eaten with game. Fine food and drink is also an excellent way to heal family rifts. In Wales, they were used in brewing ale and in Ireland to flavour mead. Apples are often mentioned for their magical protective symbol, the pentagram shape found at its base. If you cut one open, you'll also find that every rowan berry bears a tiny five-pointed star at its base. This is because they are all from the same family, the rose family. 
This little tree belongs to the family of the Rose Queen and wears the royal robes of that family, white blossoms and glowing crimson fruit. Queen Rose is its first cousin. The apple, the pear and the hawthorn are its brothers. We will call this tree by its own good old name, which is nearly forgotten. It is the rowan or roan tree that is the whispering tree. The tree that knows the secret spells and mages' charms. The tree of the witches, or as it is sometimes called, the witchin or wigan tree. These strange names tell us of the old times, when many a poor old woman was thought to be a witch, with secret power to do harm. If she was ugly, cross and ill-tempered, if she lived by herself and kept a black cat, then the country people were sure that she was a witch, and with the evil eye, and they were afraid that if they displeased her in any way, she would look at their cattle and make them sick with one glance of her eye. One way there was for preventing harm, for the witch could not hurt cattle if they were under the charm of a bough of the rowan tree. Sometimes the sheep and lambs were made to jump through a hoop of rowan. The dairymaids drove their cows with a rowan stick and tied rowan branches over the stables and cowhouses. Unorthodox religious practices. Carrying of rowan twigs, especially those tied with red thread, though very common as a folk charm, could also be added to evidence that someone was a witch. In Scotland in 1618, Margaret Barclay was brought to trial, strangled and burnt at the stake. One of the pieces of evidence against her was that she carried a rowan twig tied with coloured thread in her pocket and two accused witches were tried in Dumfries, Scotland, both accused of folk healing and unorthodox religious practices using Rowan, 60 years apart. The first, in the trial of Isabel Watson in 1590, Isabel was accused of and confessed to healing a man of the worm using Rowan wood. She claimed to have used Rowan and a piece of a dead man's finger for the cure. Next, in the trial of Elizabeth Maxwell, later in 1650, she confessed that she passed a rowan over her own head to cure sickness. And also, although not related to rowan, man became ill after he allegedly witnessed Elizabeth riding a cat. So back to my journey to Gallows Hill and I've just said hello to a black cat. She's come over to say hello and I have been blessed with a butt of the head upon my leg. And I have been allowed to stroke this lovely feline. At least one of the familiars of the accused Penderwitches, Elizabeth Southern's Tib, was at one point a black cat and a common one for familiars attributed to accused witches. I bid the cat farewell, considering it 
but uh, perhaps a little good luck and a very excellent symbol for my journey. Keep walking along the path and then suddenly the woodland opens out and it's a play park and lots of people are all around in the park. And at the peak of the hill, there is a memorial and it's for a woman, but it's not the witches. This is actually for the wife of a very rich man. So I didn't go inside the memorial, wonderful as it looks, because I know I won't find my witches there. So that was an excerpt, a little journey I took in Lancaster, and I hope to go back to that conference again next year. We'll finish with a folk tale. And it's a fascinating mix of history in that it mentions the magic of the Pendle witches, although there is a Mother Helston in this story that was not actually one of the accused. Most likely she was a made-up name. There's also a combination of folklore and also some social commentary in that we see what a woman may be pushed to do, become a wild deer, to avoid an unwanted marriage. This is hunting from the witch's horse block on Halloween. It was said that Lady Sybil of Yorkshire was unrivalled in her beauty and her wealth. Scarcely a day passed without some fresh admirer seeking her hand in marriage. But she was in possession of high intelligence and her own interests, and far preferred to be free to walk the countryside she loved so much and further her studies in nature. She was particularly fond of visiting the Eagle's Crag, also nicknamed the Witch's Horse Block, to admire the surrounding views. And she had ambitions beyond her love of nature. She longed for supernatural powers and to take part in the nightly revelries of the famous Lancashire witches. So, as one does, she sold her soul to the devil and became mistress of the county, the queen of the Lancashire witches, and with skills to transform at will into a white doe. Now, a certain Lord William had long been a suitor for the hand of Lady Sybil and couldn't quite believe his proposals had been continually rejected. So, while Lady Sybil was seeking power and magics, he also consulted a Lancashire witch, Mother Helston, who promised him a successful proposal on All Hallows' Eve. Clearly, she had little loyalty to Lady Sybil. So in the dying light and dusk of All Hallows' Eve, Lady Sybil is enjoying the countryside in her form of white deer. But following the witch's directions, Lord William went out hunting this same evening with his dogs and the hound familiar of Mother Helston, and they captured the white deer. The apprehended doe became Lady Sybil once more. Her powers of witchcraft were lost, and her and Lord William were wed. But removed from her diabolical practices, Lady Sybil's health rapidly declined, her desires lost, and she died. Her grave was dug up at Eagle's Crag, and it is here, each year, on the eve of All Hallows, that that milk-white doe and the witch's hound meet, and once more the lady must run for her freedom.
And that brings us to the end of our very first episode of Witch Country and a Halloween special. We've had a little history, a little superstition, a little actual walking about, and some fascinating folklore, clearly inspired by the witches of Pendle, but only in a kind of half-truth. I hope you have enjoyed these stories, and I wish you a happy Halloween and a blessed Samhain. Farewell for now. Thank you for joining me on the journey today. I hope as we part ways you feel a little enchanted and bewitched, inspired perhaps to walk a new path next time you head out into your own witch country. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing. If you'd like to come and say hello, you can find me on Instagram at this is witch country. I'd love to hear your ideas, feedback and suggestions for further adventures into the wilds. Until next time, enjoy your walks in the wilds of the witch country.